0: Hello and welcome to the Work Joy Jam podcast. I'm your host, Beth Ward, founder of Create Work Joy. In this episode, I'm joined by Harry Helvin Hardy. Harry is the founder of Fabric, the Care Leavers Community, and she has such an interesting story about becoming an accidental entrepreneur and really using her experience of being a social worker and finding challenges within the system to create something that is built on love and values and helping people, young people, to get a better start in their adult lives, to help them deal with trauma from their childhoods and to create this incredible space in her community and beyond actually. So it's a really great, interesting conversation with Harry. I'm fascinated by her work. I think she's doing incredible things and using her accidental entrepreneurship to really impact deeply um, lives of future adults in our workplaces and in our worlds. So do have a listen. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome joy jam i am excited today to be joined by harry and rather than me introduce harry i'm going to get her to introduce herself i'm really excited about this conversation such an interesting background uh, career story and doing some amazing work as well so harry over to you would you like to introduce yourself Hi
1: guys, so my name is Harry Helven hardy and I am the founder of Fabric. Um, That's a social enterprise group which supports young people in the care system. Uh, So we provide loving homes with trauma-informed support to young people who are aged 16 to 19. Um, So what that basically means is we provide them with a safe and secure home and somewhere that they know they are loved. Um, and we also work on getting them ready for um, independence at 18 to help them develop the skills they're going to need to live by themselves. And we've also got a registered charity that focuses on providing the activities that they need to support their physical and emotional well-being. Um, we run a food bank in the community for those people who've kind of left the care system but are struggling a bit with um, with food and finance. Um, and we're also due to launch a... Uh, Tech with Purpose Company later this year.
0: So, just a few small things you're working on there, Harry. <laughs> Some amazing, amazing things. Can you tell us a little bit about what led you to, you know, where did you start in your career and what led you to setting up and working um, on Fabric and with your charity and everything that you're trying to do now?
1: Now, I think I've always really been a person of purpose. I've always really been interested in making a difference in the world, but I think when I was younger, I wasn't 100% sure about how I could do that um, as a career. I qualified as a social worker in 2011. Um, so I kind of knew that I wanted to work with children and make a difference that had always been something that had interested me. But before that, I'd um, done a media and marketing degree. Um, and when I finished that, I kind of thought, well, I really enjoyed what I did, but... I suspect I'm going to have to work in areas that aren't of interest to me. And yeah. basically, I didn't really want to sell Coca-Cola to children in order to get to a position where I could get a job with a, an NGO or a charity. Yeah. So I decided to train as a social worker. I, I qualified in 2011. And quite soon afterwards, I realized that potentially traditional social work wasn't going to be for me it wasn't going to be my forever forever job um Mm -hmm. i worked in child protection which is an incredibly difficult arena to work in um take my hats off to those people working in it Mm -hmm. because it is beyond stressful and they they manage some tough things on a daily basis um but i kind of felt that i was working within a system that I didn't necessarily agree with everything in the system. And that's not really something, um, I guess, that myself as a person can do for a long period of time. Uh, so I took a little bit of a break. I had a sabbatical and went to Sit in the Sun in Spain. Lovely. And I think I'd always been brought up in a very academic uh, family. It, I, There was a path for me, and I kind of only knew one path, which was get your GCSEs, get your A-levels, go to university, get one of about six jobs that has existed. And I started thinking, oh, well, I'm going to have to go back to university if I don't like social work. That means retraining again. And I'd already done seven years at uni, so it wasn't yeah. really very appealing. And the amount of debt I had wasn't appealing either. So I thought, oh, I'm going to go back and see if I can find a version of social work that I can do forever. Because I think, again, the kind of background that I've been brought up in is that you get a profession and that's your lifelong profession. Something had never really sat well with me anyway. i would never done jobs for particularly long periods of time. Yeah. Once I kind of knew how to do a job well, I, I kind of get bored. So I came back and tried some agency social work, uh, worked with teenagers and absolutely loved it. I really um, kind of felt that that was my niche. I love working with all children, but I think there's there's certainly something special about working with teenagers. They definitely see it as it is. And whilst I enjoyed it, again, working within the system didn't really appeal, and I was struggling with some of the elements of how it works. So I was struggling with the lack of available accommodation, the fact that there wasn't necessarily much accommodation for young people that created a family feel after a certain age. Yeah. So I basically had a coffee with a colleague one day in work and I was like, oh, I like that uh, that one place that exists, but I think i do it like this and I wonder if I could do that. Um, and that's kind of where it started from, really. It was being frustrated with working within a system that I thought wasn't doing as well as it could do, and having having some conversations with people about how I could maybe do uh, what I wanted to do, and it kind of just snowballed from there, really. I was basically trying to find a job for myself that I would enjoy, because, you know, let's face it, when you spend 37 and a half hours a week in work, it should be something that brings you joy.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and we're totally aligned on that. You spend more than a third of your entire life, that includes sleeping hours, at at or doing work and um if it's not bringing you joy if it's something that's not there it's not great for you so you were sat there you'd kind of explored some different careers you'd gone past the idea that actually the kind of traditional version of get a degree go work in that thing for the rest of your life and you're thinking about how do i do it and you stumble upon this i wonder if i can do that moment of thinking about your where you've eventually got to How did you go from thinking, I wonder if I can do that, to actually making it happen and setting Fabric up?
1: And I think one of the bonuses with wanting to create something that is essentially a a social purpose-led business is that people are always willing to help you. So that's the one thing that I found that when I was explaining what I was trying to do, I was just having random conversations with people that were kind of in my network. And somebody was say, saying, oh, that sounds like a great idea you should speak to. And it was really kind of just a, a snowball of that. One person would recommend that I spoke to that person because I don't know, they knew something about accounting or they knew something about funding. And it kind of just went along that way in my community that I ended up getting links of connections, networking, I guess, with people that were able to assist me on my journey. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't an easy journey, um, and I think there's definitely something in, in my personality, I don't know whether it's stubbornness, um, but I, I had to jump through a lot of hoops and I had a lot of no's on the way. Um, but I think my childhood made me quite resilient. And, and therefore, I was able to take those no's. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think the last time I was told no, I definitely threw my toys out the pram, <laughs> having a moment of I can't do this anymore. And the person that was helping me apply for the funding kind of just asked me to try one last time. And fortunately, on the last time, somebody said yes. But I guess on reflection... I was trying to borrow £350,000, which is a lot of money for somebody with absolutely zero track record (laughs) in business or I guess um, visible business acumen. I was a social worker, so I had that skill set and I picked things up quite quickly, but I didn't have any track record. So I can understand now on reflection why why it took a lot of time. Um, But it was really that it was a support of other people. Um, And I guess the innate personality traits alongside that that got me to where I was, I think it's nearly six years ago in May.
0: Yeah, amazing. And it's really interesting thinking about this idea that you can create the job that you're looking for that maybe doesn't really exist within a system. It's not there. But what you've done with Fabric is to create something that works with the system versus having to work in it um it's really interesting and just tell me a little bit more about um so you you've gone out there you've you managed to get a yes eventually and the yes is always the last one isn't it because once you've got a yes you don't keep asking for yeses until you've got your next big thing um so you've got your investment you've got the community set up how did you go about actually creating it and making it happen and obviously you're a number of years in now how has it been working for you
1: I think I had, and I think, every, you know, it's a very well-known business saying, isn't it, that if anybody really knew what setting a business up was like, that nobody would do it. And <laughs> I, I, can def- that, yeah. <laughs> I can definitely relate to that. And, you know, I think... People talk about roller coasters and I, I would definitely describe um, fabric as being the biggest, longest and scariest roller coaster I've ever been on in my entire life. But you know, as much as I definitely wouldn't have started it if I knew what it was going to entail, um, I definitely wouldn't change that either. So it, it's kind of started with I went into this. I wasn't trying to be a business owner or an entrepreneur. I definitely fit into that kind of accidental entrepreneur category. I was trying to create a job for myself. So there's definitely an element of, I think, justified selfishness um, that I want I wanted to, to enjoy what I what I did on a daily basis for work. Um, and I knew that I wouldn't sustain. The employment that I had if it didn't bring me joy. Yeah. I, um, you know, I'm neurodiverse so I'm undergoing a uh, diagnosis for ADHD which kind of really makes sense to me now because I have to be kept busy and fulfilled. So we started with uh, the funding and once we had the funding we bought the house, we renovated the house to meet all the plethora of different requirements mm-hmm. that there are in local authorities to provide um, housing um, once we had the house we found our initial staffing team uh, and we opened and then six months later we were winning uh, a Wales Startup Award, Social Enterprise of the Year and it, it's kind of escalated from there. Um, I think with Fabric it is very different, there aren't many um, organisations like ourselves in our sector of work, there's lots of um, bigger bigger organisations. Um, so not privately owned ones or, or, or social enterprise ones, but much larger ones, for example, uh, YMCA, Gualia, Shesh, those kind of large organisations. Yeah. And I can understand why it's usually large organisations <laughs> that do this type of thing. But I think with it being um, led by one person, so we don't have any private investment. So fabric has always been built on... Um, the values that I had—that if it's not good enough for my child, why is it good enough for these for these children? And I think that has been woven throughout everything we do, um, all the team members that we employ. Yeah. So I think I can understand now how it's kind of developed quite quickly in terms of um, all the awards that the team have won and that we've expanded because I think when something is different and you can see the the passion and the motivation behind it, that that kind of shines through. So I think we were planning to have had more fabrics by now. So uh, we opened our second home in 2019 with plans to expand further. Um, But obviously then we got hit by COVID. Mm. um, So those plans stalled, but we did expand our charity in 2020. Um, in response really to the needs um, of the the young people that we support um, due to the impact of the pandemic. So I think it's been a journey that's been fantastic, but it has been beyond challenging. But I think it's that constant reminder of going back to the why, why we do what we do that has kind of kept us on this kind of pathway. And and I think that's also assisted um, in fabric success,
0: Yeah. So being really values led, knowing what your purpose is, being that social enterprise, wanting to do good in the community and doing things in a different way. And it really struck me when he, I think he said, I I probably haven't got it quite right, but he said something like, if it's not good enough for my kids, it's not good enough for these children. And it's a really, really interesting way of looking at something, isn't it? It's like, this isn't about a system or a process, this is about thinking about, the experience and the lives of kids right here, and what are some of the things that you do within Fabric that make that experience for these kids better in their lives? And I, you know, th- these aren't kids who've had easy lives so far, are they? This is you know helping people who are struggling.
1: Yeah, I think you know one of the things I often say is we have these big um, kind of programs, don't we? A couple of times a year, children in need. Uh, you know, red notes day, all of that, and people find it really easy to have empathy and show upset about the mistreatment of smaller children. Mm. But there's a massive disconnect between crying when we watch children in need over hungry three year olds, um, etc. You know, we see on the television, and that, and I can understand that It's easy to to connect with that but I think there's a disconnect between understanding that when children have trauma in their childhood, it impacts on their development. And, and so there's, you know, we often hear about the stereotypes of, you know, children on street corners, um, wearing hoodies, smoking cannabis, and there's such a distinct difference in the empathy that is shown towards those young people. Mm. And, and that's something that I think for me has been really important in trying to um help people understand that when you know they're the same children potentially just 10 years different 10 years down the line and I think people have a view that when a child is brought into care well that's it then they're safe and secure and everything's okay but you know Children have got trauma, and if trauma is unaddressed, then it has an even further impact on their development and and the way they manage life. And coping mechanisms are um, developed in order to cope with the unaddressed trauma, um, some of which are viewed very negatively by society, which changes the perspective of how much empathy we then show that person. And I think for me, I've always viewed you know, the future of society is dependent on the children that we have now. And that should be all children. And I think it's really easy for us and totally understandable when we live in bubbles. I think most people, if you don't work in the social care sector or have much input in it, it's really easy to completely not understand how some people's lives are. And I think the more we can open up that communication and dialogue the more we can share information about what the actual impact of trauma can be on a child's brain development um on their on their their behaviors that develop afterwards the more we can do that the more of a chance we share of improving the outcomes for these children and you know i go always go back to that like it was an african proverb it takes a village to raise a child yeah and i think Potentially, as society has developed, we've gone a little bit further away from that uh, where we used to be. And I think with Fabric, what we have always tried to do is not hide ourselves away in the community because we don't want people having that not in my backyard. We've always been very open and honest with our local community about, um, you know, with the neighbours of the street we're on, what we were going to do when we opened up. Um, we're very vocal on social media and I think when people can see that actually these young people are incredibly kind, beautiful, empathetic young people, a lot of whom actually want to go into the social care sector to improve outcomes for you know, other young people in the future – that's I think why people are take to fabric so much why they want to help us out and why we've kind of been I guess welcomed in our into our community and it, it's I think a real intrinsic part of our success that yeah. we are proud of our young people we're not apologetic about what we do and we want other people to kind of put their head into how would they feel if their child had experienced that in childhood and then was, was kind of being stereotyped or um, being given very little room for empathy. Um, you know, young people shouldn't be defined by their start in life. No, no fetus has a say on where or to whom it's born. And I think society should take that into consideration a little bit more.
0: Yeah. And what kind of age group are you working with? Is it kind of the teenager Age group that you said you loved um when you started working with them?
1: So um
0: I generally have worked
1: with 16 plus, so the kind of 16 to, to, to 18, 19 age range. Um I love I love that age range. It, it tends tended or 14 plus, really, between 14 and over and 16 and over. Um yeah. so that real teenage age range. Um I really fascinated with that age range because uh, statistically, um, it's a really good age to try and implement change. so The brain is really uh, adaptive. Um, a lot of people think that it's just, you know, younger years, and then after that we're mm. fixed for life. And and kind of science has proven that that actually when we're not fixed, and the teenage age range, for me, is that kind of opportunity to really make a difference before these young people are effectively independent in in the big bad world and i think you know we're talking about a system that was created decades ago um, and isn't really fit for purpose i think even maybe 10 years ago they did research that showed that the average person left home at 25 i would argue that that's probably a lot older now and yet we expect young people who have had the least to achieve the most so we're expecting young people who've been in care, who've had traumatic experiences in childhood before coming into care. And for many of them, having had very traumatic experiences whilst they've been in the care system to be able to manage independently at 18. Mm. I mean, if the average person doesn't have to be without you know, family support, why, why should children in care? I mean, I always say that we're never going to be able to achieve equality of outcomes But I think it's certainly reasonable that we could achieve a quality of opportunity.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it's it's that whole creating another gap, isn't it? Where you've already struggled through your childhood and then expected to just suddenly at 18 be able to be out there in the big wide world on your own without the support that um, many, many other people get.
1: Yeah, and I think when, so Fabric is a, we work on a kind of developmental Basis. So we work in a trauma informed way, which means we are very focused on what happened to that young person in childhood. Um, So, focusing on the fact that the behaviour that you see now has come from somewhere, as opposed to just focusing on trying to affect the behaviour to improve things. It's about that foundational, this young person has experienced trauma which has impacted on them. And with Trauma because there is often an impact on development, and and therefore, development and there's many areas of development you know, social, physical, Mm. intellectual, cultural, emotional, etc. They can be impacted in different ways. And a society we're very visual people, so we tend to treat people how they look. So, for example, you can have a 16 year old that is you know, six foot two. Very well built, broad, so probably could pass for about twenty. People will generally treat that young person as if they're twenty and place their expectations on them as if they're twenty. But actually, emotionally, they they could be functioning around the age seven to eight. Right. And and so for us, we focus very much on trying to support our staff and therefore the the you know the wider population via our social media to understand that actually supporting young people should be based on their developmental age which is another reason I have an issue with the care system finishing support at 18 because 18 is chronological not developmental yeah and and therefore if we wouldn't expect a 12 year old to manage a flat by themselves and cook and look after themselves and manage their finances why are we expecting that of somebody whose childhood has meant developmentally then they're not 18 Yeah. So I think there's a lot for us around, you know, trying to focus on, you know, what these young people haven't had. And I'm aware there's loads of people in society that haven't been in care that have had difficult childhoods. Um, You know, most people have some form of trauma, whether that's little t trauma or big T trauma. Um, But I think, you know, our focus is trying to make a positive impact, plant those seeds for the young people that we support now and kind of nurture them and support them to nurture the seeds. So that in, a, in adulthood, despite the disadvantages that they will have, um, that they still have the opportunity to create the futures that they want for themselves and not the futures that have been placed upon them by the low expectations that are often placed on children in care by the system.
0: So it's, what it seems to me, and tell me if I'm wrong here, is you're changing the way that the older children, the young adults, young people, whatever the, I'm I'm probably going to get the wrong terms here. What Changing the way that they are cared for and can transition from being in care to not being in care in a way that is developmental supportive loving caring empathetic and while doing that for those young people that are in your um centred in fabric you're also changing the way that communities see these people so there's a greater impact um beyond just the individuals that you're working with right now
1: yeah i think for me it's about that community ecosystem isn't it if you look at um, what's happened since COVID? You know, we've seen, um, in my eyes, a much strength, stronger sense of community. Yeah. Um. Where because of this, you know, horrendous situation that we all found ourselves in, so something that clearly has affected everybody has maybe I don't know taken off the peripheral, you know, taken us into peripheral vision rather than focused vision on what impacts on ourselves and to to wider. And the reality is that societal issues impact us all. So it's actually in everybody's benefit for us to um, kind of focus on the the people that ha- have the least, the most vulnerable people in society. I mean... Um, Not to talk specifically about politics, but I've always had that kind of perspective uh, because I get asked as a business owner, you know, what my views are. And and they're private, but I do strongly feel in the focusing on what the the people are who are the most vulnerable in our society and and what's going to benefit them. Because in the long run, we have that trickle on effect. And, you know, there are awful outcomes, statistical outcomes for children in care. Um, mental health uh, issues substance misuse issues um, you know having children that then have uh, social services um, involvement and so for me it's always been how can we impact the adult life which will then impact potentially on future generations Um, so the children of children who've been in care but also as a society and I think the more people get involved the less young people will feel kind of alone yeah. and I think you've got to I always try and like look at where I'm privileged and I know I'm really privileged I'm 36 and my mum still texts me every Wednesday night to remind me to put the bins out and I know <laughs> that seems really small but yeah. if we were to look at the difficult times in our lives and the strength that those of us who still have family relationships lean on how scary would it be to be 18 and to to feel isolated and alone and to have nobody to turn to. And I think with Fabric, what we've tried to create is yes, these young people need to learn to develop skills to live independently at 18. But living independently at 18 doesn't mean to have to learn to live without love. You know, because love is the most, in my eyes, the most fundamental human desire or need. Everyone needs to feel loved in some way or wants to feel loved in some way. And I think often and potentially because of political issues that have happened in the past or um, things that people are scared of, that we are afraid to use words like love um, about when we provide a service to people. Mm. And, and that's just not how fabric works. Like we work within the realms, obviously, of the, the boundaries that are that there and there for a reason but you know if a young person's having a bad day and they they, they want a hug because they need that connection i'm not gonna stand a meter and a half away and try and offer some hands-off support you know we we love our fabric kids you know even if that for some people you can just view it as well we sh- i love all human beings and therefore i love these kids yeah. but we are trying to create that sense of Um, You know, family, which is, you know, uh, can mean so many things to so many different people. We just want these young people to know that somebody loves about them, somebody cares about them. And it doesn't matter if they've left and at 23 they're having a really difficult time and they just want to call up and hear a a familiar voice or have a little bit of support that we can, as much as is physically possible as a provider of a service... Um, but that's not what we name ourselves, that we can provide that feeling that people you know, need, not just want, we need to feel connected. Um, and we do that. We have young people that still access our support um, who left us five years ago.
0: So it's an, it's also the ongoing then support, even though it might not be part of the official service, it's part of how you live your values because it's like we are not just going to abandon you when, you, when you're when you gone we're, we're still here to support you and it's I, I think it you know when you when we talk about young people and we think about you know what as you're saying like future generations if I relate it back to work these are people who are going to be in workplaces they're going to be people who are going to want to find jobs we're going to need to help them with making that stuff happen and you know that question there I would um, encourage all of our listeners to just have a think about the question you asked and I race it down how scary would it be to be 18 and alone with no family to rely on I even think like right now how scary it would be f- to be a 40 year old and have that I, I think <laughs> and if you take it as a 40 year old that that idea scares me right um there is no way I, I could have done anything I've done at eight, if, if that was my position at 18 I can say that right now there is no way and it makes me terribly, terribly sad that there are, and it, it you know, heart, it's heartbreaking, isn't it? And this is the thing about love, it's actually heartbreaking to think that there are young people out there who are in that very situation. And I think for me, I'm very, very pleased that there are people like you in the world doing something about that. And you said earlier, really interestingly, you said, you know, kind of like justified selfishness in setting this up. It doesn't sound like there's any part of this which is selfish but the selfish bit for you is that i'm doing something that actually really matches what i want to do i'm I'm doing work in a way that um isn't uh, frustrating because it's not part of the system we're doing it in a way that makes sense and where you can do things a bit differently so where you see it as selfish i see it as really giving it's a really interesting um way of working and setting some things up and i just wanted to ask a couple of questions like you said that you've also got things like a new tech product coming up and i'm sitting there going oh that sounds exciting what's that stuff all about
1: so um it's called Stella, and um I don't really know the name. I'm a very spiritual person, so I was trying to think find something that was um, had a nod to that. I also got a little bit of a nod to the to my Welsh heritage because of the uh, program called Stellar. If anyone's seen that, um, and also I wanted a one word um, name because what we're building is it's essentially, I guess, a um, a data a data management um product so for those who've worked in the social care sector will know that innovation in the tech side of social care isn't is nowhere near maybe where it is in other areas for example fintech and uh, one of the issues we've always had with fabric has been um that as a service we um have to document the work that we do with our fabric kids um so there's a plethora of different documents we do um, The most kind of common one is our what we call kids recording. So it's just what happens throughout the day um, so that we um, have got a record of that. Uh, But what that in itself is kind of Word document saved on a cloud storage system. So quite basic. Um, It has the um, issues that it's uh, got a lot of human error in it. Yeah. So people can accidentally delete a file, which then means that people have got a you know, refine those and, and they can always be found on the clouds uh, software, but it's very time consuming. Um, I think one of my colleagues accidentally once uh, uh, deleted 10,000 files, which I then spent three days um, pulling back. Oh. Um, it also means, yeah, I know I was really, yeah, 10,000 <laughs> files. It was a, it was a fun three days. Um, it also, it, they're very clunky. So for example, because you've got, Um, you know files in year order month order etc and you have to do them for all the young people in the building it can be a fair amount of clicks before you get to the the place where you want to record the information you've got Um, and then it's going back and doing the same thing for for other young people Um, but one of the issues that we've always had as a smaller organisation is kind of gathering those Um, for want of a better word that uh, marketing talks sticky facts yeah so um you know in order to get more funding in order to raise our profile we need to be able to really shout about what we do and fabric's got loads of brilliant qualitative research which is Way more meaningful to me. You know, when you've got a young person that's like, I never felt loved until I came to fabric. I mean, that yeah. to me is always going to be one comment, of the most beautiful things to hear, but also one of the saddest things to hear mm-hmm. that somebody didn't feel loved until 16. But local authorities and governments and those people who uh, we work with are really keen on that quantitative number stuff. Um, And being able to kind of show distance travelled is a word that's used a lot. And that's really difficult and time consuming for us to achieve. So, yeah, I think even within the first year of Fabric, I'd identified that we were having lots of tech stresses within the staff team that then were rolling up to me. Because I'd probably always been the most tech efficient in the company. And so the smallest of issues just kept rolling up to me. And I just got to the point where I you know, was wanting to stick a pin in my eye. <laughs> um, and so it had been on my mind from quite early on that we needed to find a solution to this. And having worked as a social worker, I'd worked on loads of tech systems, all of which were built by tech people, not by the people that were actually doing the job mm. and therefore were clunky, um, difficult had way more in them than you needed. Um, So I was really reticent to to use an off-the-shelf product because I felt that whilst I would be making an improvement on the system that we were using, it would be a costly improvement when we wouldn't actually achieve what we wanted. So I spent quite a bit of time trying to figure out what to do. And before we opened our Neath home, we decided to buy an off-the-shelf product because if anyone's tried to look into building a tech product, they'll know how incredibly expensive it is. Um, And we had that off-the-shelf product, and we were on day two of our training. And on day two of the training, I uncovered that it didn't do the most basic function as quickly as the system that we were already using. Um, So after a brief meltdown, um, (laughs) I kind of just decided that I needed to listen... (laughs) <laughs> listen to my gut and, um, and build something ourselves. So we are, have built something specifically to, our, um, to impact on fabric and what we do. Um, but in that time period, we've realized that actually we could help a load of other organizations out with this um, because it is so modern and innovative in its approach that it seems daft not to be able to put that out there um, to improve the social care sector in a different way
0: mm. yeah so it, you know the different bits and impacts that you're having really goes way beyond um, just I mean not just the, having the impact on the kids it's really important but you're actually trying to help other people do this stuff better and the more efficient you are in your admin and your tracking of stuff the more time you can spend with the kids and there's so many benefits and to having that and it's so funny because you talked about yourself earlier on as like an accidental entrepreneur and it's like you're falling over your entrepreneurism as you come through things and build things and um it's 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 really interesting because you you may not have started thinking you're an entrepreneur but you certainly are one aren't you (laughs) yeah I mean I think it's
1: definitely accidental but what I would say is having had the Uh, potential uh, neurodiversity issue raised to me it really makes sense um Mm. I am not somebody that bodes very well with being bored um although I could do with a couple of days doing just the same thing and coming into work and leaving um but that would last about 24 to 48 (laughs) hours before I was tearing my hair out so I think I've recognized and learned to find strength in what potentially before was seen as a weakness. That really whole am. thing of not being able to, not being able to do a job for a really long period of time, was just actually understanding that my mm. brain works in a different way, and therefore I have to keep it occupied. Um, so yeah, I guess it's quite good at um, honing in yeah. on where there's something that could be improved. Mm. I just have to
0: work on the
1: amount of ideas that it has.
0: <laughs> it's interesting because it actually in this case it's like your superpower isn't it it's like the thing that helps you move things forward to pick up on ideas to notice what's going on to find solutions to things so i you know being able to use your neurodiversity in that way is actually a really helpful thing for you
1: yeah i mean i read i've been reading a couple of books obviously since it was kind of pointed out to me whilst i was in the initial stages of diagnosis and i read this really great um quote that ADHD is like having a race car engine without the brakes. So when I read that, it really resonated because the amount of courses I've signed up for, the amount of ideas I've got, the amount of domain names I've bought over the years. um, And actually, it's just understanding that, you know, I need to apply the brakes sometimes. So it's just finding that balance between keeping my kind of the happy or the joy joy in life by having enough interest without yeah. doing the very typical um and especially for women with ADHD um like that overwhelm. And yeah. it's it's been okay acknowledging it is a superpower, but it's a only a superpower if I find the breaks.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. I love that analogy. It's a great one. Right I'm going to move us on to our quick fire questions it's been so yes. interesting hearing all about your things but I'd love to know for you individually you know on an on an average day what is it that's always guaranteed to bring you a little bit of work joy? Oh I
1: would say I love working with the team and having some fun and yeah. have just being a little bit silly so our, our sector obviously there's quite of a lot of accountability because you're talking about providing support and care for young people that um that are under 18 um so as a team it's that trying to find the fun yeah and have uh, banter in the office or we often doing reels for social media which originally <laughs> we were all a little bit like rolling our eyes at but i think that brings out the fun and it brings out the creativity so i would yeah. definitely say fun and creativity is always likely to bring me joy
0: yeah it's really interesting because I, I, that idea that just um just because it's serious work and it's important work doesn't mean you can't find the joy and have fun with it as well. And I can imagine there's some really tough things that you have to talk about and work through and really, really tough situations. And actually sometimes finding the fun, finding the, the joy within that makes it easier to do the tough stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean it is an incredibly difficult arena to work in whether that's the workload pressures um whether it's the the things that you see and i do really think that there is an an element where you know i remember when i was at university one of the lecturers who was, who was given a talk and he said the day he quit frontline social work in child protection was when he was talking to his wife obviously not breaching confidentiality but just about the day he'd had and his wife was crying and when he recognized that his wife was crying hearing over something that he was able to talk totally emotionally free about was the day that he'd decided to leave because and I agree with it I think that you always have to have some level of being able to be emotionally impacted by the work that you do, but it's finding the right tools and mechanisms um, to support you not taking that home and not letting it invade your personal life to a degree where it's detrimental. And I think for us, a huge part in us achieving that is um, experience. It definitely gets easier with experience Um, having your colleagues, um, but fun. You've got to find the fun. Otherwise, it's, you know, it's a serious job with lots of accountability um, and seeing difficult things. It would just become too overwhelming if you didn't find the fun. Yeah, brilliant.
0: Um, Question two is, what book are you currently reading? Um, A book, did you say? Yeah. Oh, right. So, with the
1: ADHD brain, one book is not the answer.
0: (laughs) You'd be I amazed how many not. people tell me it's about five books. Uh,
1: so the, um, to be fair, the, the, the main one that I um, am determined to read is a good friend of mine and fellow woman in business, Lucy Cohen of Mazuma um, Accountancy, has just published a book called Forget the First Million. Ooh. Um, which apparently I think is outselling some of the biggest known um business book writers at the moment. So I have purchased a copy of that, and what I've read so far is um great. Um I'm also reading, it's really bad, I can't remember the name of it, but I try and balance um out the kind of uh non fiction books with a fiction book. I'm an absolute avid lover of a crime novel. I think I've read everything
0: by Ian Rankin. <laughs> Amazing. So, yeah, I, I always like to have a, a fiction and a non-fiction on the go and probably usually about four non-fictions and one mm. fiction is where I end up with. But I've not heard of that one from Lucy Cohen, so I'm going to get that. That sounds great. Sounds like a great read. Um, right, question three. What is the best or most useful bit of advice that someone has given you in your life that you always come back to?
1: Oh, God, there's been so many. Um I think this too shall pass is Mm -hmm. a saying that I remind myself a lot of. Um, And actually one of our first ever fabric kids um, always says to me that he often thinks about me saying that to him when he was having a really difficult time. And so that when he goes through challenges now, he always reflects on this too shall pass. And I think you know, there have been so many times, particularly in the last two years, why I've questioned myself on why I chose to open a business that was open 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. Yeah. Um, and I think the other bit um, for me is uh, to not judge yourself by the, uh, not judge old versions of yourself by the new version of yourself because you've got different tools. So I think it's so easy as we get older, and I do a lot of work on self-development, it's so mm-hmm. easy to criticise past versions of ourselves. But we did what we did at the time with the tools that we had available to us then. Yeah. And we've probably got a completely different tool set now, a much bigger one, a much more supportive one. And if you, it's unfair to judge those past versions of ourselves on the basis of where we are today.
0: Yeah, that's a really good one, isn't it? Because you, it, you know, hindsight is a powerful thing. That you know, we could have been perfect if, but you don't (laughs) know that at the time. You didn't have the tools. You might not have the resources or the funding or the people in the community or whatever it is you need at that time. You might not have had it. The world changes. You change everything. So uh, that's a really great piece of advice because you can't go back and change it, but you could do something different for the future. Right. Uh, What is one super practical bit of advice to our listeners that's something they could go and do now, today, tomorrow, the next day, that you think would help them get a bit more work joy in their life?
1: I think to me, it's probably to focus on the details a little bit more. So with somebody that is a very, I'm a a big vision kind of person, um, focusing on the details for me at times can be really difficult. Um, and so things like um, really understanding my numbers in the business, really understanding that or um, making sure that I've documented something uh, that I ne- might need in the future. I think my, my biggest piece of advice would be to really um, not assume that your business isn't going to go somewhere. So actually focus on those smaller bits now. Get, get those boring bits if your brain works like mine down now so that in the future you're not constantly having to try and make up Mm. for stuff that you've not done because that's been one of my biggest struggles is constantly having to deal with going back and 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 getting that that piece of thing filed or that really learning what that meant is to just take a little bit of time sometimes for the boring stuff and to eat that frog
0: yeah yeah kind of to allow you then to be freer as you grow and things get bigger and you want to do the bigger impact stuff so keep looking after that those small things really really great so coming to the end harry thank you so much for coming on and talking about this fantastic thing that you're doing um where can people find out more about you and your work and about fabric and all the wonderful things you're doing so we have a website
1: which is fabrictclc.co.uk. However, I'm going to put a caveat with that. That um, as an organisation that supports children in care, that's not really our our primary focus. And therefore our social media is way more up to date um which would be at fabric tclc which is short for the care leavers community um so you can find us on there you can with my name harry helvon hardy there's not many of those so i am on all of the general platforms however whilst i am on twitter i don't really use it because i am not a lover (laughs) and so you can find me in all those different ways
0: brilliant we'll put the links into the show notes so if anyone wants to go and link in directly they've got it there ready to rock and roll for you so harry thank you so much for being a wonderful guest and for the wonderful work you're doing i wish you lots and lots of success i hope that the impact of these things will continue to grow um it's it sounds absolutely incredible what you're doing so thank you so much you're welcome Pleasure. A huge thank you to Harry for joining me on this episode of The Work Joy Jam. So many wonderful things that Harry is doing, and I love the way that she talks about kind of being justified selfishness for setting up fabric and for wanting to work in a world where she found the joy in what she was doing, even when it's hard and difficult and things don't go well, when you have a lot of nose working through all those things... And the idea of an accidental entrepreneur, I think many, many people who are in that space of creating and developing businesses or services or social enterprises are in that world of we didn't know we had it in us and trying to take it and do something with it and learning as we go. And I think the work there, trying to kind of start with that love and question of it's not good enough for my kids it's not good enough for these children thinking about how do we build empathy and connection and in our communities and understanding how we support the most vulnerable and the question that's really sitting with me is this how scary would it be to be 18 and alone and no family to rely on stepping out into the big wide world all by yourself and that for me is a it's a really, really insightful question and I think one we can all reflect on and think that's actually not something we would necessarily want to do or be there. So thank you very much Harry for joining us and it's been great to have that conversation with you. I do hope people start following on social and understand more about the work you're doing because everything we can do individually to step out of our bubbles, to understand our privilege, to understand the difference in different areas and where things are at would be really helpful to us all. So do go and listen to the other episodes of the Work Joy Jam. We've got five seasons worth now for you to listen to. If you're interested in finding out more, make sure you follow us on socials. We also have Club Work Joy, which is a great space if you want to um, create and cultivate more joy in your life. And you can find out more information about that on our website, createworkjoy.com. Thank you for listening and I hope you listen again soon.